Okay, let's uh, dive in tonight. Last time we started to look at uh, Ephesians uh, 6.4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we talked about what fathers are not to do. Uh, do not provoke your children to wrath. Don't exasperate them. Don't cause them to lose heart. And there's so many ways we can do that. Way more than the, than the ones I suggested last time. But you'll know when you're doing it. Because you'll see it in the faces and the, and the attitudes and the body language of your kids. If you're exasperating them. So tonight I want to come to the positive side of that exhortation. Bring them up in the discipline and admonition of the Lord. This is what fathers are told to do. Don't exasperate them. Do bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Did y'all bring supper for us tonight again? Right up here. For those of you listening on uh, the website, uh, our good friends Jordan and Sarah Tong just walked in with their bag from... McAllister's. I like McAllister's. Y'all can share? Perhaps. Okay. All right. We are gonna we are gonna steamroll tonight. Okay. So if you have a question, shoot it up there, and we'll stop and take it. But we got ground to cover because we've been behind the last. We didn't get everything done the last two nights, and we still got more to go next week, which is our last class. It's just it's just flown by. So tonight I want to talk about what they're told to do, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The word bring them up is a word that means to nourish, to provide for, or to bring to maturity. It's what Christ does for the church. He nourishes and cherishes the church. It's that word nourish. He brings the church to maturity and does everything the church needs um, to come to that place of maturity. And this is what we're supposed to do with our children. This, this is a fascinating concept to me. Bring them up. We are not spectators. In we, we don't just sit back and watch our children grow up. What's going to happen if you just sit back and watch? Which direction is it going to go? It's going to go south in a heartbeat. If you just sit back and watch. Because what are our children at heart? Besides image bearers of God, moldable, pliable, all those other things. Well, what are they? Fallen. They're fallen. They're sinners. And we just sit back and watch them. What are they going to do? They're, they're going to they're mess up. It's going to go south real fast. So we're not spectators, but we must take them by the hand and lead them through all the pieces and facets of life. And those are just simple little illustrations of of a parent showing a child what to do in particular situations, we've got to take them by the hand and we've got to bring them up. So we want them to be well-adjusted, responsible, mature adults who understand what life is all about, why they're here, where they're going, what the point of it all is. And that's not going to be the default setting in, in our kids. That's not just going to happen all by itself. Um, so we must do it. And it doesn't say watch them grow. It says bring them up. Make it happen. Get her done. This is, if I can borrow, um, y'all remember that movie? Clear and Present Danger? I mean, Clear and Present Duty? If, if we, that's our clear and present duty to bring them up. If we don't bring them up, then we're in a very clear and present danger. Our kids are. Um, now, there's another handout. Um, just just take one and pass them around if you don't mind. And I really would like to just sit here and talk about it for a while, but we got we got to keep moving. There's a fascinating statement in Luke 4:16. It says, "And he came to Nazareth. Who is he?" Oh, uh, that was a question. Jesus. Jesus. He came to Nazareth, where he what? What? Had been brought up. Do I have any English teachers in here besides me? That's a passive 
verb, which means the subject was acted upon. The subject, Jesus, was not doing the bringing up. He was brought up. Somebody else brought him up. And if that doesn't just nearly make your eyes pop out of your head, knock your socks off, and all the other expressions of total, absolute wonder and amazement that somebody had to bring Jesus up. His humanity was real. He was without sin, but his humanity was real. And who brought... Man, that smells good. Y'all? Good, okay. Who brought him up? Who brought him up? Mary and Joseph brought him up. And I detail some of that in this whole handout. Don't read it right now. Just turn it over, put it to the side, and pay attention up here, children. Okay? Because we've got a lot of ground to cover. It's fascinating to think about Jesus was brought up. Now, if that's true of Jesus, that he needed to be brought up by Mary and Joseph, how much more is it true of your kids and mine and my grandchildren that they need to be brought up? And who's supposed to do that? Dads and moms. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. That is, that, that's an active verb. Bring them up. Now, how are we, how are we to bring them up? In the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And we're going to talk about that for a little bit. If I can get that page turned. Here we go. Um, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Discipline is a, is a really broad term. That refers to the whole process of, of the training of a child. The word may include elements of training, instruction, and what we often think of as the negative aspects of discipline. But most of its uses in the New Testament come in a context of discipline that is often painful. So just uh, go home and take a concordance and, or, or get your phone app up and do a search for the word discipline through the New Testament. And by far the majority of its uses are in a painful negative context. Here's, it occurs often in Hebrews chapter 12. Um, just look at it for a second. And you've forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to your sons. My son, do not guard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint. What, what does that suggest about discipline? That it's easy or hard? Hard. Nor faint when you are approved by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines and scourges. Easy or hard? Hard. Every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. Do you have to endure a picnic? Or do you have to endure a marathon? You've got to endure a marathon, okay? It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Skip down to verse 11. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Man, that's, that's some heavy stuff. That kind of discipline. It has the distinct notion of painful, corrective punishment, what we might call enforced learning. That's not all the word means. The idea of training is very much present in that word, but it clearly includes the element of corrective and often painful punishment. It's what we, it's what, and I'm not going to be hard and fast here, but the word discipline has more to do with what we do with our children. The word instruction has more to do with what we put in their minds. The word literally here is, it, it, it comes from two words that mean to put in mind. It has to do with instruction and warning and admonition and encouragement. It's what we say to our children. It's what the wise man does in the book of Proverbs with his son. He's warning and instructing and admonishing and encouraging son about all sorts of things. So this is teaching that has both instructive and corrective elements. Let me tell you what's right. Let me tell you what's wrong. And both of these, discipline and instruction, are qualified by this statement of the Lord, the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Um, 
not the discipline and instruction of mom and dad, not the discipline and instruction of Dr. Phil, not the discipline and instruction of the latest issue of Parent Magazine. Anybody ever read Parents Magazine? Good. Don't. You've been reading it? It's bad. It is. It's awful. It's, hor- it's horrendous. Um, we're not even to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of mom and dad, what we come up with on our own and ground on our own authority. We teach and train our children under God's authority. You don't obey mom and dad because I said so. You obey them because God said so. Why? Because God said so. Your disobedience to mom and dad is really disobedience to God. And if we don't discipline you, then we'll not be obedient to God either. That's why we need to be bringing Scripture into our training all the time. Root what you're telling your kids in this book. Son, okay, these are, these are, these are kind of sort of artificial examples, but you'll get the idea. Okay, son, you must not talk to your sister that way because God says that your words should not be like arrows and swords. They should be words that build up and not tear down, according to Ephesians 4. And images in Psalms and Proverbs of your tongue as a sword and a spear. I've told the kids in chapel at school before that if, if some of your tongues were actually swords and spears, spears, there'd be blood all over this place. The way you talk to each other. So t- take it back and root it in Scripture. Do you know why you were quarreling with your brother? Because you only wanted your own way. Proverbs says, pride breeds quarrels. I'm really grateful for the way you shared your, with your friends today. That kind of, that's the kind of behavior God blesses. A generous man will prosper, and he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. Proverbs 11.25 Son, you showed a lot of restraint today when that other player got right in your face. Being exactly like the man in Proverbs 16, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules the spirit than he who captures the city. Oh, but that is so in your face pious. No. No. It's in your face God said so. And our kids need to understand that. That we just didn't make up a whole bunch of stuff, and we're pushing it down on them, and if they don't do it, they're going to get their butt whooped. No, God said so. God talks about pride. God talks about selfishness. God talks about generosity. God talks about kindness. So keep bringing it back to this book. Um, So if you're a young parent, it doesn't matter if you're young or middle-aged or whatever, or even old. Byron. (laughs) I can say that because we're buddies, right? Yeah, okay, you can kill me later. Um, be soaking your heart and mind in the book of Proverbs. Just, just, you know, how many chapters in Proverbs? 31. How many days in most months? 30 or 31. That works out to a chapter a day. And you don't have to keep a schedule anywhere. Today is the 10th of March, so it's Proverbs 10. Read Proverbs 10 when you get up in the morning. Sit down at some point, read Proverbs 10. And you do that for a year, and you've been through the book of Proverbs 12 times, and it begins to stick, and you begin to think in Proverbs terms. And I have good news, ladies and gentlemen. I've got signposts from Proverbs for $3 a piece. The $3 will just cover the cost of paper and copying. We copied six copies of this. We got a copy from somebody who had photocopied. It's been out of print for ages. And in the front it says, a free gift from Christ Presbyterian Church um, in Salt Lake City. Okay, that's not us, but that's who copied it originally. We're not that lucrative. We're charging you three bucks a copy, okay? So if you want one, they're up here on this table. And we can make more if those all get gone. But they're such a good help to ground your discipline and instruction. Make sure it's of the Lord. Okay, now let's come back to this uh, matter of discipline. And I want to work that out a little bit. Um, This is kind of where the rubber meets the road. Okay, let me catch up here. It's Proverbs. We're going to talk about discipline. Some of what we'll talk about here is not popular. It's not popular at all. Um, and, And let me just throw it out there right now. It's the hot button topic in the whole issue of discipline, the place of corporal punishment or spanking. 
Oh, I actually said that word. Now, I'm sort of joking about that, but, but not altogether. I want to say something at the front end of this discussion about discipline. Our secular society has rejected outright any form of corporal punishment and has gone to great lengths to tell us how damaging it is physically, mentally, emotionally, and even academically to our children. They cite studies that, that supposedly tell how spanking damages a kid's IQ. Okay. Um, it leads to aggression. It leads to emotional instability. It can even lead to mental retardation and certainly to a lower IQ if we spank our kids. Both my boys got plenty of whoopings, and they both got full tuition scholarships to KWC, academic scholarships. It didn't hurt their brains. It, it helped their character a whole lot. Uh, but even more concerning is that some of the best newer books from a Christian perspective on parenting say almost nothing about physical discipline as a part of the discipline of the Lord. I've got five books on parenting published since 2018. Some of them are back there. I grabbed a couple to take home because I was scanning them to find what they said about corporal punishment. And of those five books published since 2018, that's just in the last two years, they say almost nothing. I found one sort of veiled reference to the possibility of corporal punishment in those books. And they're really good books with a lot of good advice and really good perspectives on parenting, but it seems like there's this subtle drift away from a thoroughly biblical approach to the discipline part of parenting. And my point is not that I think or even that the Bible says that spanking is the centerpiece of discipline, that it's the heart of discipline, that it's the most important part of discipline and the most frequently used method of discipline. That is not my point. My point is simply that it's a part of discipline. And it's, and it's a disappearing part of discipline, even on a Christian front. And so I'm arguing here for allegiance to the Bible as the foundational authority for our views on child discipline. So now I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to come to that part of discipline in a few minutes, okay? But I just wanted to get that out there to the front end of this discussion that... Um, it's, it's, it's discouraging to me to see even in Christian literature the drift away from um, the physical part of discipline. Okay, let's look at the overall picture here. The place of discipline, the goal of discipline, and the methods of discipline. The place of discipline, it is, it is, and I'm talking about the whole scope of discipline. I'm not talking right now just about spanking. I'm talking about the whole process of discipline. And we'll talk about lots of methods here in a few minutes. It is one piece. It is, it is one block in the overall building of the character of our children. It is a necessary piece to building the character of our children, and without it, the building is going to fall. If discipline is not part of the, the whole scope of discipline, okay? If it's not part of our child training, then the development of their character just will not happen. Without discipline, our instruction, our role modeling, our spontaneous moments, our scheduled activities... All of these things will have much less effect on our children without discipline. It's critical to the character development of our children. Because our children are sinners, the character traits that we want to see in them will not develop naturally all by themselves, will they? The answer is no. How many of your kids came running to you as soon as they could verbalize it when they're two and say, Mommy, I figured out how to clean my room. <laughs> Anybody ever say that? Uh, you probably did to your mom, but yeah. Not. No, that doesn't happen. The character we want to see in our kids. There's a, there's a list of all those character traits just passing around. Um, 
and see how you're doing on some of that stuff. Um, the character traits we really want to see in them will not develop naturally all by themselves. A list of those is coming, Katie. Um, one of the writers of, of one of the more recent books made this really excellent statement. Our goal in discipline is not to change our child's behavior in a moment, but to build character over a long period of time. Parenting is not an event. It's a process. Discipline is not an event. It's part of a process. And it's part of the process of building the character of our children. They must be taught. Character traits must be taught, and that requires discipline. Discipline is a vital piece in the conversion of our children. Um, we desperately want our children to become Christians. That won't happen by itself either. Right? Discipline plays a very important part in the conversion of our children. Being well-disciplined won't get them to heaven. Obeying mom and dad willingly, completely, right away will not free them from the wrath of God. We discipline our children because it is the right thing to do. But also because it teaches them that there are always consequences to sin. Isn't that a good thing for our kids to learn? You can't sin and get away with it. You can't disobey mom and dad and get away with it. Discipline teaches our kids that there are always consequences to sin, and one day those consequences will be far greater than losing a privilege or the spanking you're about to get. We discipline our children so that they will learn submission to authority so that when they learn about Jesus Christ, they'll understand what it means to bow to him and his authority. Um, okay, Pat, this is the last one, I think, today. I know, I'm wearing you out. Um, it's an article John Piper wrote a few years ago about uh, parents require your children to obey. And he, and he cites the case, you'll read it in there, of a, a 13, 13 or 14 year old boy who was shot by the police. When he, when, he, when he had a toy, they were not close enough to see that it was a toy, but it was an AK 47. And, and he's, he's approaching the police, and they see this, what looks like a real gun, and they say, drop the gun. And they say again, drop the gun, and he does not obey. Instead, he brings the gun up to point it at them, and what would you do if you'd have been the cop? You'd have done what every cop was trained to do. You'd have shot him. And this little boy was killed with a toy gun in his hand. Because somewhere along the line, he did not learn submission to authority. He did not learn to obey. So, we, te we discipline our kids so they'll learn submission to authority and ultimately submission to Jesus. And we discipline our children in hope so that they will understand that they need a Savior who can change them from the inside out. So discipline has a whole lot to do with the conversion of our children. And that's the ultimate goal of our discipline is converted children. And only God can grant that. And only God can bless our feeble efforts under the conversion of our children. So until he does, we must be faithful to bring our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, let's... Uh, narrow the focus a little bit more and talk just particularly about discipline. What we're after in the discipline of our children, apart from the ultimate goal of their conversion, is obedience. We want our kids to obey. And the obedience we want for our children should be willing, immediate, and thorough. They ought to do all that we ask, when we ask, and with a willing heart. They may not like a particular task, Mom, 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 can I take the garbage out, please? <laughs> no, I don't think so. But, our, but we can teach our kids to do unpleasant tasks with a willing heart. That doesn't mean they have to be smiling when they do it. 
But it does mean that we need to teach them to do it without attitude. And without the old eye roll and the and the hip and the eye roll and the crossed arms and the, that's disobedience. If they're carrying the garbage out, if they're carrying the garbage out, that's disobedience. They got the garbage out the door, but they disobeyed in the process. Because where does obedience come from? Everything is heart-driven. Paul Tripp is fond of saying, he's right. Everything is heart-driven. So if we're, if we're not getting the heart, then we got, we've got work to do with our kids. If their obedience is delayed until we reach a certain number of decibels, it's disobedience. If their obedience is delayed until they feel like doing it, it's disobedience. If it's accompanied by grumbling, whining, or complaining, it's disobedience. If their obedience is done grudgingly, half-heartedly, reluctantly, I don't really want to do this, but I don't want to get spanked, so I'm going to do it. So there. That's disobedience. Okay? We're after willing, immediate, and thorough obedience. There it is. Um, and we've got to train our kids to understand that. Now, can I give you a caution right here? Don't set them up to fail. And and don't just flex your authoritarian muscles with your kids. When, when you're asking them to do something and you're requiring willing, immediate, and thorough obedience, don't set them up to fail, okay? If they're in the middle of watching their favorite TV program and you look at the clock and there's three minutes left, don't set them up to fail. Johnny, I need the garbage out now. Be reasonable. <laughs> okay? Do you see, you see the point? There's a gazillion illustration of that. Don't set them up to fail. Now, there will be times when, when Johnny needs to do it, and he needs to do it right now. Yes, there will be. But, but be observant and, and see what's going on in the lives of your kids when you issue some of those some of those direct I want you to do this right now kind of statements and and make sure we're not setting them up to fail and we're not just flexing our authoritarian muscles. Okay? But if we're if we're training them in the processes of discipline, then on those occasions where it needs to be now, it's much more likely to happen if when on those other occasions we've been reasonable with them and we've tried to not set them up to fail. See what I'm saying? So uh, let, let's be, let's be um, careful that we don't set our kids up to fail. Um, okay, so, um, yeah, you see what I'm saying? Okay. Um, now let's, let's talk about, and I'm just going to, this is going to take just two minutes. We could diagram, there are actually three goals, a short-term, an intermediate, and a long-term goal. And these came from Pastor Ted years and years and years ago. And I think they're good. I think he was on to something with these short-term, intermediate-term, and long-term goals for discipline. Short-term is subjugation of the will. I have to obey my parents. That's where it's got to start. Okay? Intermediate is formation of the character. I want to obey. This is better for me. There are consequences if I disobey. And that's beginning to mold and shape their character. Okay, so short term, I have to obey. That leads to intermediate term, I want to obey. That's, that's the beginning of the molding and shaping of their character. And long term, it's their conversion. I want to please God by obeying my parents. And all of that takes the grace of God. It takes common grace. God's general kindness and favor that he shows to us by restraining sin and so forth. It takes common grace for subjugation of the will and formation of the character. It takes special grace for them to be converted. But that's the process. And it's a good process. Um, so keep in mind, especially when our kids are tiny, it's a short-term goal. I have to obey. As they get a little bit older... It becomes more formation of the character. I want to obey. This is going to be good for me. It's going to be bad for me if I don't obey. It's going to be better for me if I do. 
and long term, uh, we we want their conversion. So the question now is, how do we accomplish those goals? What discipline do we use? How do we get from A to B to C? So we want to talk about some of the details of discipline and character molding. But these tools we're going to talk about will be marginal at best and may even prove to be counterproductive if they're not used in the context of everything we've talked about for the last four weeks. Okay? If, if, if We've got to keep in mind what we've said the last several weeks about who we are as parents, what our roles and responsibilities are if we're not growing in the fear of the Lord, courage, wisdom, integrity, if we're not interceding for our children and teaching them attractively and opportunistically and urgently, if we're not aiming at their hearts, if we're not regarding them as moldable, pliable image bearers of God who are sinful at heart and need to be converted, if we're not seeking to wisely and carefully evangelize our children, and if we're not provoking them to wrath right and left, then the likelihood of our discipline succeeding is slim to none. If we've forgotten all this stuff, then whatever else we do in terms of discipline may be a disaster. Because this business of parenting is a whole package. It's not a smorgasbord of methods from which you may pick and choose. Oh, I don't mind doing this. That's pretty easy. But, oh, you mean i got to interrupt my ball game to go deal with that character issue in my son? Yes, 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 yes. Yes, you do. So while we're going to talk about some practical methods of discipline, they cannot be isolated from anything else we've considered together. So let me offer a definition of discipline. It's that whole complex of ongoing instruction, influence, and action, both positive and negative, that flows out of biblical love and moves our child by the blessing of God toward the goal of trusting in Christ alone and delightfully doing God's will from the heart. That's a long definition of discipline, but all the pieces of that are important. It must be ongoing, persevering, and consistent. It, it cannot be, I beg you, it cannot be hit or miss. You got to do it when you're feeling good and you got to do it when you're feeling rotten. It's got to be consistent. Ongoing, persevering, consistent, many faceted. There's verbal instruction, influenced by example, action, actually following through with rewards and or punishments. There's, there's lots of facets to discipline. It must flow out of biblical love for our children, whom the Lord loves. He disciplines, and by biblical love, I don't mean drippy, weak sentimentality that thinks love means you give a child everything he or she wants. And you're going to thwart a child or hinder his desires or make him do something he doesn't want to do. That's, that, that is child abuse. That, that drippy... Sentimentality that gives a child anything they ever want and you never make them do something they don't want to do. That's child abuse. It's not love. It's to develop in them. Discipline is to have this effect on the child, to develop in them the character that ultimately loves to please God. And that begins with the subjugation of the will, moves to our molding, caring, leads to conversion, delightfully doing God's will from the heart and trusting in Jesus alone. And that will only succeed with the blessing of God. Most of the time the word discipline is used in the Bible. I mentioned this earlier. It's in a negative context. That is painful. It's intended to produce sorrow. It's designed to stop foolish behavior. But is there a place in the overall complex of, of, the, of the wider disciplining of our children for reward and encouragement? Yes. Yes, there is. Isn't, that, isn't God that way with us? The book of Proverbs is full of statements that obedience to God and keeping his word bring blessing. It's even said of Jesus that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. What was one of the things that enabled Jesus to endure the cross? He knew that joy was coming on the other side of it. That sounds an awful lot like reward to me. Something good was coming out of all that. 
And so for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So I think occasional rewards are good. Good job. Frequent encouragements are necessary, but you never want to get to the place where children obey only for the temporary reward they know is coming. That has become bribery. And there's a difference between reward and bribery. If the only way your children obey is when you offer a prize and they never obey otherwise, you've developed bribery with your kids. They need to learn to obey because it's right. They need to learn to obey because you are the parent and God has has invested you with authority. And that's sometimes hard balance to maintain between rewarded obedience and just plain obedience. And it's also true that a good part of the reward for obedience is simply that life is better when you obey. Happy is he who keeps the law. Proverbs says. What do I get out of this? The pleasure of winning. I say that to the middle school kids sometimes. They, they, they win a little contest we do in English class. What, what's my, what do I get? The pleasure of winning. There's nothing wrong with that. There's also nothing wrong with occasional rewards and, and frequent words of encouragement are certainly necessary. Okay. Um, I need to take a breath. Anybody have a question? <laughs> Okay, let's talk about methods of discipline. Okay? And I'm going to try to get through this before we're done. Um, Methods of discipline. There's what I call passive resolution. I think it's a legit form of discipline, but it must be used with caution. If it's inappropriately used, we end up turning our children to disobey. For example, letting an infant cry until he or she falls asleep. Providing you know they're not hungry, they're not sick, or they're not hurt. Let them cry till they fall asleep. I can't stand it. You'll get over it. They will too. Now, if it goes on for an absolutely inordinate amount of time, and they've been wailing for 45 minutes, give them another 15, that'll be all right. Obviously, if, if your child is hurt, if they've got a major diaper rash going on, or if they're hungry, and sometimes get, kids get hungry real fast after they ate, you know, okay? Be sure none of those things are in play here. Let them cry. Our kids have trained us to pick them up. Every little whimper, pick them up. Why? Because we don't want to hear them whimpering. Be tougher than that, okay? They'll be fine. Pass a resolution. Um, okay, I, I don't know if this debate is still going on anymore or not. Is it? Baby-wise? Is that still out there? Um, do you fit the baby into your schedule, or do you adjust your schedule to fit the baby? That was a hot debate for a while. And maybe still is, but I'm out of that. I'm out of that age range here. So, baby-wise, on this hand, on the other hand, my biggest parent regret, baby-wise. <laughs> Both sides of the fence. Do you feed on demand or do you feed on a schedule? You pick them up every time they cry. You let them cry. I already answered that one. I'm certainly not going to resolve that whole debate, but my opinion is that the sooner the child learns that the world does not revolve around him or her, the better, because that's how they come into the world. It revolves around me. And, man, that's going to come crashing down someday when they figure out it doesn't. So the earlier they get that figured out, and we help them figure it out, I think the better it will be. Um, so much of the discipline and character development we, we aim at is one application or another of the idea that the world does not revolve around them. So start early. Um, and the issues where passive resolution may be appropriate are more often not issues of obedience or disobedience, but issues of developing good habits, character development, etc. Things like the initial stages of learning table manners. That's, the, that's, that's developing a habit. That's learning a skill. That's not, does she have, surely that's a girl, that wouldn't be a boy. Is it a girl? Okay. Surely she has not smeared spaghetti all over her face 
and then sneered at mom. Ha, look at what I did. No, she's trying to get spaghetti into her mouth. And hand-eye coordination doesn't come automatically right out of the womb, okay? So um, passive resolution may be appropriate where, where we're not talking about issues of obedience or disobedience, but developing habits like the initial stage of table manners. Remember to say please and thank you are not at first matters of rebellion. They have to do with learning a new habit so they simply don't get what they ask for until they remember to say please. That's passive resolution. Or they don't get to go outside and play till their chores are finished. <laughs> Clean up your room, son. Then you can go outside and play. <laughs> okay, and it may take a little time for them to learn what all is involved in finishing their chores. It's not an issue of rebellion. I won't. It's a matter of learning what's involved. It can become an issue of I won't. That's a different ballgame. Okay? Any of these can become a bigger deal, warranting more severe discipline, but often all they require on our part is this passive resolution until the child complies. The discipline is in they're not getting what they want until they comply. And we've already made the point that rules and expectations need to be crystal clear and understandable to our, ch to our children and within their capacity to do. Okay? Loss, so, passive resolution. Uh, loss of privilege. Um, you're going to have to sit out the next game because your behavior was unacceptable. I tell our basketball players, before they ever get with the coaches, I tell our basketball players, if you get in a ref's face and, and just you're letting him have it because you don't think the call was right, I'm not, I'm not the basketball coach, but I will go out there on the floor and I will take you out of the game and sit you on the bench for the rest of the game. You lose the privilege of playing because you displayed character that was totally inappropriate and unacceptable. No video games tonight because you wasted your time after school and you didn't get your homework finished. That's losing a privilege. You violated your curfew last weekend without a good reason. This weekend, you got to be home an hour earlier. That's losing a privilege. You may not play your Xbox tonight because you were selfish with your brother and wouldn't let him play with your Nintendo Switch, which nobody else was using. I remember seeing one of my grandkids one time. Um, our boys had huge max, matchbox cars collections, and they got passed on to the grandkids. And, and one of our grandkids, who shall remain nameless, was sitting on the floor playing with three or four of his 40 matchbox cars. And all 40 of them are sitting there. But he's playing with three or four of them. And brother walks by. He doesn't even reach down like he's going to take one. He just walks by. And an older brother immediately goes, with all the matchbox cars, <laughs> Scooped them all up. Buddy, you just lost your matchbox cars for three days. Loss of privilege. Um, and it's often helpful in those kind of situations to relate the punishment to the crime. There, there of course, is verbal admonition. Proverbs 6, 23, the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is light and reproofs. That's verbal admonition for discipline or the way of life. He who neglects discipline despises himself, but he who listens to reproof acquires understanding. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Verbal admonition. Your attitude, my son, is unacceptable. That's not the sweet obedience that God expects of you. You can show me a happy heart while you pick up your toys, or we can have some stronger discipline. That's verbal admonition. That's not the way you speak to your sister. Your words were unkind and hurtful. You need to ask her to forgive you, and I want you to speak to her the way you would like her to speak to you. So, be sure that our kids, as part of our verbal admonition uh, and exhortation and instruction, be sure that our children seek forgiveness from those whom they've wronged. Mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, classmate, teacher. I would be careful about asking them on the spot to say they're sorry, because they probably aren't. 
But you can ask them. You can require them to say, will you please forgive me? They may not be ready yet to say, I'm sorry. Hopefully that will come. But they can say, will you please um, forgive me? What, what I did was wrong. Will you please forgive me? It's a combination. Verbal admonition is a combination of pointing out the wrong behavior and pointing out the right behavior. Uh, that ought to replace it. It's corrective and formative. It's the put-off, put-on pattern in Ephesians 4. But may I encourage you to be careful here of your tone of voice. Be sure to taste your words before you spit them out of your child. Your words may be right, but the tone of your voice may provoke them to anger. I've, uh, I've done that so many times. I was I was right, I was right, but the way I sounded was so wrong. So verbal admonition must never become a shouting match or a debate. Then it boils down to who shouts the loudest and longest, and it becomes a debate. You begin arguing different sides of the questions as if you were equals rather than rather than parent and child. What usually starts a debate? When the child responds with a very simple three-letter word, but, or it could be why, and that starts the debate. May I encourage you to not enter into debate with your children. We talked before uh, a couple of classes ago about uh, the teaching this was way back maybe the first or second week, about appropriately, our teaching being appropriately reasoned. There's a place to explain why you're asking this or that of your child. Okay? There's a place to do that, to give them reasons. Doesn't have to be every time, but it should never be in a context of debate because they've risen to the level of I'm as good as you and if I can out-argue you or out-shout you or outlast you, then I win. And that's a lose-lose-lose situation. So don't let it get to the point of debate with verbal admonition. Um, okay, questions? Okay, here we go. Uh, passive resolution, loss of privilege, verbal admonition, and we're going to talk about the use of the rod, which is the Bible's term for spanking. Uh, let's just ground this what the Bible says. He who spares his rod hates his son. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. He will not die. We're not talking about we're not talking about busting their behind open with Bruises and cuts and okay, we're we're not even in the same ballpark as that. Everybody got that? Understand? The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. Um, the word for rod is the word for stick, sometimes used for a shepherd's staff, and rightly used, it is not child abuse. If we take Proverbs seriously, not to use the rod when it is called for as child abuse. But let me add very quickly, there are an awful lot of things parents do to their children that are not biblical. And I want to be clear as a bell. Shoving, yanking, slapping, pinching, shaking, and the like are abuse. They are anger-driven and impulsive and harmful and wrong. Everybody hear me say that. Don't ever, don't ever take the back of your hand and across the face of your child. How many kids wind up in the ER because they've been shaken so hard that they're damaged? No. Those things are in a whole different category than the biblical use of the rod. The rod is medicine, it is not food. And should be reserved for more serious offenses. 
I do think there's a difference, a distinction between willful disobedience or rebellion and thoughtless or careless disobedience. Okay? Be discerning on that. Willful disobedience or rebellion is more serious. It's a battle of the will. The second, thoughtless or careless disobedience, is worthy of discipline, but may be corrected by much lesser forms of punishment than getting a whooping. Okay? Um, some offenses can be dealt with sufficiently with just a reproof, sometimes just a look, the loss of a privilege. Others represent a more serious character flaw and must be met with much firmer discipline. And typically, we use the rod when our children are younger and less when they're older. And, and please, please, please take into account the nature of your child. They're not all um, hard-nosed, strong-willed, I'm going to have my own way every last time if it kills me, kids. Some kids will melt with a look. True? Okay, then give them a look and melt them. Some kids will fall apart with loss of a privilege. Some kids will just go to pieces with a good stern talking to I'm not talking about a shouting match. I'm talking about a good, self-controlled, stern talking to. Some kids need a paddle on their backside. Okay? Um, so know your children. Understand them. And also know that your children can learn to be really good actors. Right? When they're screaming bloody murder and you haven't even gotten the paddle out yet. <laughs> then it's okay, son, I'm going to spank you for um, stealing at the grocery store today. And then I'm going to spank you for the Academy Award you got for trying to convince me that you were broken. You were no more broken than man in the moon. You were just trying to get out of getting spanked. So you get two. Um, so typically, I, I kind of got sidetracked there, but that's important stuff. Um, the younger the child, the less they're able to respond to reason. The less a loss of privilege will mean to them. Six-month-old Johnny. No bottle till next time. <laughs> that ain't going to do it, okay? But a tiny child does understand a little a little swat on the back of the hand or on the back of the leg with a firm no, that registers. And as they get a little older, a wooden spoon or a switch or an appropriate paddle, not please don't use a fly swatter. A belt is too hard to control, and it's actually easier to jar your child with your hand than it is with a paddle. I, I, I'm not a fan of hand spanking. I, you know, that kind of thing, that kind of thing. But if you're, if you're going to spank their bottom, it's really easy to bruise your child if you use a hand with them as opposed to a paddle, a paddle spreads it out more evenly. The pain is more evenly distributed across those, that little behind. And God made that little behind with lots of padding and nerve endings. And it works. If you're faithful with the rod when they're little, you'll have to use it less and less as they grow. There's a really good analogy um, in Galatians 3 and 4 that likens the people of God under the Old Covenant to a minor child under a tutor. Go home and read Galatians 3 and 4. But then when the fullness of time came, it was as if the people of God reached the age of maturity. They grew up. They got older. What was God's discipline as people like during that time of their minority? Read the Old Testament. I mean, it was it was violent and physical and hard and 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 man, it was it was swift and painful and severe. You see almost almost none of that in the New Testament. Now that the faith has come and now that we've reached the age of maturity and Jesus is on the scene and we have we have completed revelation. 
So take that broad, that's a biblical theological principle, okay? Take that and apply it to children. When they're little and, and they're not capable of doing a lot of reasoning and following an argument and so forth, they do understand swift, painful punishment. They get that. And that begins to mold and shape their character because they don't want that. And they make those connections. But as they get older, our discipline changes. Um, so more when they're younger, less when they're older. There's a God-ordained connection between the foolishness, but I'm of a child and the pain applied to their bottom. It's just, it's just there. I would add here that as our children grow older, there are other things that can be very painful um, that mean a great deal to them. The withholding which could be accomplished the desired end. It could be as little as a popsicle. It could be as significant as the keys to the car on a Friday or Saturday night. How should we use the rod? Always, 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 always in love. A love that is demonstrated and verbally expressed. The flip side of this is that you never, 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 never use the rod in anger. And if that means you've got to go cool down before you spank your child, by all means go cool down and pray for some real self-control. Spanking is never an outlet for frustration. It is not revenge. I'll get you. You do that to me, I'm going to get you, buddy. No. It is the loving discipline of a parent whose heart is grieved at his child's rebellious heart. It must be exercised with dogged consistency. Proverbs 13, 24, discipline him diligently. Don't pl- please don't fall into the, the trap of idle threats or repeated warnings. Okay? No idle threats or repeated warnings. You kids figure out very quickly that you don't mean what you say if you don't follow through. Once the rule is on the books and clearly understood, repeated warnings are simply another way of giving your child the privilege of disobeying. You've got to the count of three to do what I ask. Translate it, that means, you've got to the count of three to get away scot-free with disobedience. Yes? Yes. So, give up the count of three, okay? Um... That's, that's, that's why we say that their obedience, the goal of our discipline is their obedience, and it must be willing and immediate and thorough. Now, it's not going to be like that the first time you have to discipline your child. You've got to train them what immediate and willing and thorough means. But get them to that point and then hold them to it. Uh, our use of the rod must always be accompanied by verbal reproof. The rod and reproof give wisdom. Make sure they understand what this is about why the behavior was wrong, what the acceptable behavior is, what God says about that behavior, what should replace the wrong behavior, and that's going to take some time. And it will be time well spent. The rod must be used with sufficient firmness. All right, I'm going to fly through these. Um, It must always be used within reason. Not every use of the rod calls for three or four licks regardless. No. Depending on the child and the offense, one might be all it takes. It might take more than one. It may need to be followed by another spanking. If your child fights and screams bloody murder, responds in some other way that indicates a lack of brokenness for his sin, he might need to get another one for the way he acted when you tried to spank him. It must be used discreetly. I got behind here. Uh, it must be used discreetly. Please don't do it in the grocery store or even in the parking lot or in the presence of, of brothers and sisters. You could go to jail if you do it out in the parking lot. Um, I, I, I don't have time to stop there. Um, it, mu- it, it ought to be used as often as closely to the offense as possible, as soon after the offense as possible. So, so, they, so the connection is not lost. Moms, please don't always say, just wait till your dad gets home. He will really let you have it. Don't do that. That undermines your own God-given authority 
Ephesians 6.1 says, Obey your parents, plural. Now, Dad may need to take something further when he gets home, but moms, please don't delay it until Dad's going to take care of you, and you better watch out. Um, accompany your discipline with earnest prayer for God to bless it. Use it in faith, trusting in God, God's method works. And it must be followed by assurances of love. And if restitution is necessary, you got to buy brother a new toy because you threw the other one in the river in a fit of anger. Restitution might be necessary. And it should always be accompanied by the gospel. Take those opportunities to give your kids the gospel. Why, why are we here? Why are we sitting in the bedroom and you've just dried your tears from getting spanked? Why are we talking about the fact that you could not go to the party that everybody else went to? Why are we doing that? Because, my, my child, you've got sin rooted way deep down in your heart and it boils out in all kinds of ways and only Jesus can fix that and you desperately need him. So bring it back to the gospel all the time, all the time, all the time. How do we know if our use of the rod has been effective? Is there sorrow? It'll take all kinds of different forms depending on the makeup of your child. It may not come immediately, but if, you're, if the use of your rod has been effective, there will be a measure of sorrow at some point. There'll be obedience. Hebrews 12, 11 um, all distant from moments seems not to be drove of sorrow. Yet, afterwards it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness. Obedience will come. If our children respond to our use of the rod with laughter, with mockery, that didn't hurt, ha! Without being phased, or with bitterness and anger, I hate you. And that happens. Then something may be wrong. It could be we've done it in anger and frustration. It could be it's not come in an overall context of a loving, stable, consistent, faithful atmosphere. It could be that it was not sufficiently firm and they're just, it's a, it's a joke. It could be that it's not been consistent. They've gotten away with the same infraction 20 times in a row, but this time, blam! Boy, you talk about driving your kids to exasperation. They, they exhibit the same kind of behavior 20 times in a row and nothing happens. And on time 21, you've had it up to here, boom. They might really be angry with you. And if ever there would be a time when it would be legit for a kid to be angry at his parents, that would be it because, because you made the mess. See? So... It may also be that you use the rod wisely, graciously, in the right context, and they throw some of bitterness and anger. At that point, you've got to resist the temptation to abandon the use of the rod because you think it's not working. You may need to take a break and let him cool down and talk through why are you so angry. He may be angry simply because his will got thwarted. He might be angry because you didn't have all the facts. He might be angry because the last time he got spanked, he overheard you bragging to your buddies who came over to watch the game on TV, and everybody laughed about it. And he heard and he heard that. So uh, what do you do when it does not seem to work? Is the instrument firm enough? Is it being used firmly enough? Is it being used consistently every time? Um, just think through all those stuff. And you'll go through seasons where it seems like spanking is all you do. Those seasons pass. Last thing, and, and uh, we're a little over time. We need to learn how to view the opportunities God gives us to discipline our children. When your children disobey and punishment is called for, we so often groan because it's an interruption. It's inconvenient. It's going to take time. I really don't feel like going through all this right now, but it's not an inconvenience. It is never an inconvenience. It's an opportunity. It's a God-given opportunity to mold and shape the character of your child. Yeah, okay, I get it. Sometimes from our perspective, it is inconvenient. I get that. But back off from that initial reaction that, man, I, this couldn't happen at a worse time. Whoa, hold on. This couldn't have happened at a worse time? 
If you believe in the sovereignty of God and his providence over everything, then what should your answer be? This couldn't have happened at a better time. Because it was God's appointed time. And it's an opportunity for you to bring the gospel again to your child and and to get hold of his heart. Okay. I'm done. And we got through everything. So next time we'll talk about um, dating. A few teenage kind of things. And we'll talk about technology. Okay. Then we'll be done. Thank you all. Thanks for enduring, enduring the discipline of having to sit through this class.